0: Thank you.
1: morning, church. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for our worship team, for setting this uh, morning up in such a beautiful way. And, uh, Lord, it's a reminder, uh, Lord, that uh, you are at work here in this place. And, uh, Lord, our, our focus is set on you. Lord, Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. So, Lord, we ask that you have your way here in this place. Uh, Lord, that you would do the good work that you intend to do. And we pray this in Jesus' great name amen. All right, good morning, church. Before you take a seat, uh, why don't you turn to somebody nearby? Let's just greet each other and say good morning. all right well good morning everyone and uh welcome to uh sunday glad you are here and uh for those of you who are here as visitors or guests or here with us for the first time uh, welcome glad you're here with us hope you found your way here safely and you got a bulletin on your way in uh it's got a little more information about things that are going on in the days and weeks ahead and there's also a connect card at our welcome table Uh, If you want to fill one of those out, if there's any way we can help get you connected to any of the things that are going on here. Um, It won't be long before our life groups start up again in January. And um, also, uh, just as a matter of note, a couple of things coming up in the weeks ahead. Next Sunday is uh, Christmas Eve, so we're looking forward to a, a beautiful morning together. The following. Sunday is New Year's Eve, and um, with that, we're, we're actually going to try something just a little bit different. Um, I'm going to try to condense. I'm going to try to condense the sermon, um, you know, if you know, it's it's a difficult thing for a pastor to do, but I'm going to do my best, and uh, the idea is to open up some space to, to just uh, give you guys the chance to also... Um, Speak a little bit, and if there's something that the Lord has laid on your heart as you're looking back over this past year and the good things that God has done, uh, to share that um, and to be an encouragement to each other um, in the new year. Uh, if if you're new to Lakeview, you may not know that we typically spend some time in January with a focus on prayer, and uh, sometimes we we try to combine that with a focus on fasting and prayer together. So. Starting on January 7th, going for 21 days, we'll have uh, the opportunity, if you would like to, to participate in a 21-day fast of your choosing, whether that be food, um, uh, a limited diet, or just taking a break from Netflix, or whatever it is. Um, The idea is to take that time and to redirect it. Um, in an intentional way to your walk with the Lord and to give Him that space, um, fasting is something that uh, we see a lot in Scripture. And we'll talk more about it, but just to give you a heads up, so you know what's on the uh, on the agenda in the in the new year. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, let's just pray together. And uh, we'll open up God's word. Lord, thank you for this good morning you've given to us. Lord, what a blessing it is to gather. uh, Lord, to sing, to remember, and to rejoice. And Lord, now as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts. Uh, Lord, that you would do that work in our lives and uh, change us from the inside out, that we might reflect more the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray this all in his name. Amen. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, a very unlikely birth uh, that took place in the little town of Bethlehem. But it may not be the one that you're thinking of. I'm not talking about the birth of baby Jesus. That one we're going to look at next Sunday. Um, But over a 1,000 years before Jesus was born, there was another birth that uh, was a significant one that the Old Testament tells us about. And believe it or not, in a, in the most amazing ways, um, that birth story connects to Jesus' birth story. So a thousand years before Jesus was born, there's a connection to the Christmas story, and it gets laid out on the very first page of the New Testament uh, in Matthew's Gospel. It starts out by telling us the Christmas story in the most really unusual way, um, by tracing out Jesus' family tree and and what what Matthew is t- showing us is that what was taking place with the birth of this child that it was the culmination of this grand plan of redemption that God had been unfolding all throughout history and from one generation to the next it started to continue to play out through all different kinds of ways and with all different kinds of people who got wrapped up into it. So we've been looking at some of those branches over the past few weeks. And in chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us about a man named Boaz and says his father's name was Salmon. And I, first of all, I think that's a great name. Like, you know, I think we need to bring that one back. We need some salmons. um I don't know anything about him, but I have a good thought, maybe a hunch that he might have been a fisherman, and it uh, says his mother was Rahab, and we looked at her story last week, and, and Boaz, it says, was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and so we want to look at Ruth's story this morning. There's actually an entire book of the Old Testament with her name on it that tells her story. And, and she is yet another example of someone that you would never expect to find in a Jewish lineage, a genealogy. Reason being is that Ruth wasn't Jewish. She was a foreigner. She lived in the land of Moab. And the Moabites, if you read the Old Testament, you find out they were just this ongoing problem people for the Israelites. They're like this nuisance. They were just constantly pestering God's people and just wouldn't get out of the way. So with Ruth here, what we see is instead of being pushed out, she gets pulled into God's story. And so Ruth's story is a redemption story. It starts out in brokenness and it ends out in blessing. And there's four main characters Uh, In this story, first is Ruth, she's the Moabite, and Naomi is her Jewish mother-in-law, and there's a guy named Boaz, and I think he might be about the closest thing to Santa Claus that you come across in Scripture. Um, We'll we'll look a little bit at him in a little bit. And then there is the Lord, who is sovereignly writing this story and orchestrating the entire storyline by fitting the right pieces into the right places at the right time. And so as we look through Ruth's story, it's a reminder for us that that same God, that same sovereign God is still at work, and he is writing the storyline of your life and my life, and he's writing a redemption story through us. And so if you'll indulge me again, I try to take use of, like, I have all of this um, in my memory banks, all of these songs, um, you know, from the 80s and beyond. And so what I'm going to try to do is to just use a a song to summarize a section of Ruth to kind of break it down a little bit. And the first one is uh, actually not from the 80s. It's it's more recent than you're used to hearing from me. Um, It's a song by Rachel Platten, I think is her name, and it's called Stand By You. I haven't heard it in probably five years or so, but it used to be on the radio a lot. And the chorus went something like this, I'm going to stand by you, even when we're breaking down, we can find a way to break through. Even if we can't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. Love, you're not alone, because I'm going to stand by you. And um, at the end of chapter one of this book of Ruth, it records this kind of statement that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that Sounds a little bit like the line from that song. She says this, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you." Wow, that is a serious promise she's throwing out there. It's, it's actually a vow, right? It's, it's, she's like binding herself in this unilateral, unconditional way. And it's a little bit awkward because the, this level of promise that she's making, they're the kind that we're used to hearing when a, when a man and a woman are standing at the altar and they're entering into a lifelong marriage covenant together. And so This is that level. It's the deepest level of commitment a person can make to another person. And and of all people, Ruth is pledging herself to her mother-in-law. How many of you would do that? Right? I love my mother-in-law. She's here this morning. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to take this passage and uh, articulate it to her. But that's exactly the point. This is extraordinary. She says, from this point forward... We are tied together, and we're, it's going to be that way no matter what. And and what makes it all the more stunning is that it's, it's the, the state of affairs that led up to that, to that statement. So, so the backstory is that Ruth, um, Ruth actually made this at Naomi's worst moment in her life when she had hit rock bottom, and so Naomi. Um, and her husband, they were both Israelites. They lived in the little town of Bethlehem. That's where they were from. But then a famine hit the land, and they ended up moving to Moab. And they moved there together with their two sons. And the intention was that it would be a temporary kind of detour. Uh, But then um, Naomi's husband ended up dying. And that was something they hadn't figured on. That kind of threw a wrench into the whole plans and And then um, her two sons grow up, and they end up marrying Moabite women because they're in Moab. They're the only ones around. And, And one of those wives happened to be Ruth. But then after that happens, tragedy strikes again, and both of Naomi's sons die. So now Naomi, she finds herself a widow living in a foreign land with no family around, and that would not be a good situation in our day, but in that day, it would be even worse because you know they lived in a, in a time when you, know, you couldn't do office work, right? You had to do farm work. It was an agricultural culture. And so physical labor was how you provided for yourself. And, and so she had no support system. And then living away from home in the foreign land meant that she had no connection to anybody there, uh, no one to turn to and to lend a helping hand. So so this is like the worst case scenario is playing out for Naomi. And, and she decides, all right, I'm out. It's time to head back home. I'm going back to Bethlehem. At least there I can try to do something, and maybe someone will be inclined to want to help me out. Um, but she still has these two daughter-in-laws to figure out what to do with, because by marriage, the way it worked back then is you were you were bound to your husband's family, even if your husband passed away. And Naomi's like, I gotta figure out what to do with these girls. Um, but she sees herself as being dead weight. Uh, she believes the best thing that she can do is just release them, get them off the hook, and let them go back home. Reason being is that Naomi believes that she's under a curse. And it's understandable, right? Her life is filled with so much pain and grief and hardship that she's reached the conclusion that God must have it out for me. That's, that's the storyline that's spinning around in her head. Like, I'm a problem. Stay away from me. And, and, and Naomi has, at this point, turned into a bitter woman. It's actually... That's how she actually describes herself. When, when she gets back home to Bethlehem, as a matter of fact, she actually changes her name from Naomi to Bitter. She tells everybody when she gets back home, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. And that's the Hebrew name for Bitter. And she says, here's the reason why, because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. So let me, let me just stop this morning and ask, can, can anyone here relate at all to where Naomi was at, right? Does, does the way that life is unfolding make it seem like God has a plan in place to make your life miserable, and you just don't understand it? you don't know what to do with, but it's like this dark cloud is following you, and you can't get out from under it no matter how hard you try. Uh, I think in all of our lives, there do come seasons when it seems that way because none of us are exempt from hardship. And, and, and when things get hard and the hardship continues, the hopelessness and the bitterness starts creeping in. And so if that's where you find yourself this morning, what I wanna say first of all is that I'm, I'm really glad you're here, that you found your way into this building. And I'm not gonna to try to throw out any quick fixes at you, um, but maybe I'll make this one suggestion. Uh, that maybe a first step is being as honest about where you're at as Naomi was, right? Because she's not hiding it. She's not painting on pretend smiles on her face. She just says, man, I am a bitter woman. That's just where I'm at for good or bad, right or wrong, that's here is where I am. And, you know, we, we do try really hard at Lakeview here to be a place where we say, it's okay not be okay here, um, to make space for that, because sometimes, you know, it can really seem like you look around the room and like, why does everybody else have their life completely together except for me, right? Now, that's not true, and most of the people are probably thinking the same thing, um, but the reality is that even when we go through our darkest moments, God is there, and uh, I also want to remind you, if that's where you're at, that this story that we're looking at, it's not a story about bitterness. It's a story about blessing. And, and more than that, it's about moving from bitterness to blessing. And, and so if you're bitter and that's where you're at, I do believe that, uh, that this is a journey God wants to take you on as well. And for Naomi... Uh, be that where she was, that journey started when Ruth threw out this lifeline to her. This, this unilateral promise to stand beside her when she had hit rock bottom in her life. So Naomi is about to go back home, and she tells her daughter in laws both of them, she says, guys, forget you know me, hit the reset button, go back to your home and build a new life for yourselves. The one daughter-in-law, she reluctantly complies. But Ruth refuses. See, this is the point when she makes the promise. And the promise is not that everything is going to turn out okay, right? That is not anything to do with the promise that she makes. The promise is that whether it does or not, that I'm going to be here with you. That what happens to you happens to me, and we're in it together. And this is a bit of a snapshot of what the Old Testament describes as Hesed love. And this is, this is God's kind of love. It's, it's love that's loyal, that's unconditional. It's life-changing love that's grounded in commitment, not convenience. See, this is a snapshot of how God loves us. He doesn't love us for his benefit. He loves us for ours. He doesn't love us selfishly. He loves us selflessly. He doesn't love us because we're easy to love. He loves us because we need to be loved, not with sentiment, but with sacrifice. And I think one of the most powerful things that any one of us has the privilege of doing is pouring out that same kind of love that we are loved by God with onto another human being right it's it's the kind of love that doesn't just say hey let's try this out let's test it you know we'll see how it goes and if it works then we'll commit right it says i am here no matter what no matter how it goes you see love makes promises and that promise it actually lays the groundwork for everything else that unfolds throughout the rest of the story you know we live in a culture of convenience Right, And the assumption so often is if that is something is right, then it ought to be easy, it ought to be automatic. But if it takes effort, if it involves sacrifice, if it turns into work or it gets too messy, then that might mean that it's time to to tap out. You know, don't lose yourself for someone else, we're often told, right? Keep your options open. You have to do what's best for you and you've got your own dreams to think about. I don't think any of that was on Ruth's mind when she made that promise. See, more often than not, statements like that are a smokescreen for selfishness. And Ruth is a reminder that life and blessings are the byproduct of making promises, not avoiding them. And so this road to redemption, it's paved on promises, rock-solid promises. And and there's this life-changing power in hearing someone say, I'm going to stand by you. There might be someone in your life who needs to hear that from you. And that begins the next chapter. It brings us to the next chapter. And the song I chose to summarize this next one is a a Gloria Estefan classic. Uh, It's called Get On Your Feet. Maybe you remember that one? Get on your feet, make it happen, stand up and take some action. And uh, that kind of summarizes the kind of attitude that Ruth embodies when they get back to Bethlehem. Um, So chapter two, it starts out with this quick introduction uh, to this relative Naomi's Uh, named Boaz. And it says, uh, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So this Boaz guy, we're told, is this top-notch, legit guy. And then the spotlight shifts back onto Ruth, and she tells Naomi, hey, now that we're back home in Bethlehem, it's time for me to get on my feet and take some action. She says it this way. um, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So you gotta love this girl's attitude, right? Ruth doesn't have it all figured out, but what she's figured out is that they have some needs that need to get met. And so you can sum up her grand strategy with two words. Get busy, do something, right? Even though she has no idea how it's going to play out, she takes the next step. She does what she can do. And for her, that meant picking up dropped barley grains left over in the the harvest fields. It's it's not what you would exactly describe as a dream job, right? It's kind of comparable to maybe like scraping leftover food off the plates in a restaurant. That's basically what she's doing. And you know what? She's okay with that. Because doing something beats doing nothing, right? And on a deeper level, she's articulated what she really needs, what it is she's really looking for. It's it's this word favor. That's a key word. She needs to find favor in the right person's eyes, and she needs to cross paths with someone who would take an interest in her, in her situation, and, and let the right doors open up for her. But Ruth is not the type to just wait for her prince to arrive. She's not just sitting around feeling sorry for herself. She's on her feet. She's taking action. She's she's taking risks. And sometimes the first step to finding favor is doing what's in front of you, right? What, What happens next as she's doing what she can is another key theme to how this story unfolds, and I know the thread that gets woven into the story. Verse 3 says, so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters, and it turned out, and that's, that's a key phrase there, and it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, right? That's the legit guy we just heard about, and then it says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters so you can look at that and say wow what a fascinating turn of events right the story's unfolding and it seems like things might be starting to click into place and you might say wow what a wild coincidence but that would totally miss the point this has nothing to do with coincidence in in the kingdom of god there are no coincidences it's never about the stars aligning. it's about the sovereign God providing. He is at work in the details of the lives of his people to carry out his purposes. It's what he does. Romans 8:28 says it this way: We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who loved him. So keep that in mind. if you're going through a hard time and things start clicking into place. They start finally falling into place. Don't chalk it up to chance. Behind the scenes of every, as it turned out, there's a sovereign God superintending the storyline of your life. Because that's what he does. So in the English Bible that we have, the book of Ruth is chronologically placed right after the book of Judges. Okay, the reason being is that both... Both took place during the same time in history. But in the Jewish Bible, um, they don't no arrange it by chronology. They, re, they, they arrange it by genre. And Ruth is a part of the Jewish writings. And it follows right after the book of Proverbs, which is really interesting because Proverbs, the last chapter of Proverbs is bookended with this personification of wisdom. Um, on the front end, it's the, it's the wise father. But on the end, at the back end, it's this noble wife, um, Both personifications are meant to apply equally to men and women, and they both illustrate here's what wisdom looks like. Uh, It's not just about knowing the right answers on a test, it's about making right choices in the trenches of how we live out life. And so, right after Proverbs 31, this Proverbs 31 woman, Ruth's story begins. And it says in Proverbs 31 that this, this, this wise woman does not eat the bread of idleness. And so many Jewish commentators, they, they actually believe that Ruth is a snapshot of the Proverbs 31 woman. She's a model of wise living for both men and women. And it's here in the midst of doing what she can that God Guides, directs, and provides, and brings her to the place that he wants her to be. And so, as the saying goes, it's easier to steer a ship that's at sea than one that's docked at harbor. See, sometimes God's directing starts when our doing begins. And so, here's how it happens for her the workers see her. In the fields, they mention to Boaz that this this Ruth girl has been working nonstop. She's like the Energizer Bunny, and 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 then this is the point where she starts to find what she's been looking for—that favor. It's playing out one step at a time. So Boaz, who is the he's the Lord of the Harvest, He, he extends kindness and generosity to this foreigner. He tells her, you're free to stay in my fields, glean all you want, pick up the leftovers, and he promises to give her safety, uh, to give her protection, because that would have been a vulnerable place for a female to be. Um, He even invites her to sit down, eat lunch with me and my workers, and then he tells his workers, after she goes back to work, go ahead and drop a few extra stalks of barley to the ground, let her pick them up, help her out. So Ruth works her tail off, the sun goes down, and she returns back home. This is her first day on this job, doing what she can, and she arrives home with an abundance. More than any, either of them, had ever expected she would get. And that word, more, that's another word that gets woven into the fabric of the story. Her determination, fueled by God's providence, led to an abundance. And from this point forward, Ruth experiences this immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine that God is in the business of providing. So that leads us to the last chapter. And uh, the song that I chose for this one is uh, We Are Family. Maybe you remember that one, The feel-good celebration song from the disco era, right? You hear it at every wedding reception. Um, but Naomi... Starts to recollect that Boaz is, is he's extended family. And she starts playing out what that could mean, recognizing that this could be a game changer for them. You know, sometimes we find ourselves like just living on the ground floor level of life, right? We're just getting by day to day. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's where we're at. And godly contentment is is so crucial, right? We just recognize that whatever the situation, no matter how much or how little, the Lord is enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's godly contentment. We never lose sight of that. But there's also times when the Lord wants to take us to a place we never expected we'd ever go. It may not be the norm, but when times like that happen, we don't want to miss them. We don't want to let them pass by because ultimately they're, they're about us, but they're about more than just us. They're about God, what he's doing, getting the glory, accomplishing his purposes. And that's what's happening in this story. This is one of those extraordinary moments. So Ruth's expectation at this point is that she's going to just pick up scraps from that harvest field and get by. She's okay with that. But the Lord has more in store for her. And what's fascinating is that it's, it's Naomi. It's her bitter mother-in-law of all people. She's the one who's pointing it out. And so you see as this story plays out, like her broken heart is healing. It's filling back up. And uh, what it meant is in ancient days, um, relatives had the opportunity. They actually had the obligation to provide for those in their extended family who were desolate. It's basically the way the welfare system worked back then, and widows in particular, they could be taken in by, by male family members, and they'd marry them, and, and in an agricultural culture, they could provide children for them who could do the work, carry on the family line, and provide for them. And I know it sounds bizarre to us, uh, but it's how things worked back then, and, and just keep in mind... 200 years from now, if the Lord tarries, they're going to be looking back on people from 2020 and say, those people did some weird things. Um, we don't know what it's going to be, but uh, pretty sure that's going to happen. Um, so Naomi, she sees that uh, this Boaz guy is a potential redeemer uh, of theirs, someone who could redeem the situation. He could marry Ruth, take them in, not as servants, not as workers, but as a part of his own family, and that could be a total game changer for them. So she instructs Ruth on how to broach the subject uh, with Boaz. And uh, here's, here's what she says. Um, she says, uh, is, is not Boaz a relative? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. it's kind of an interesting thing. There's some cultural baggage here that we have to kind of unpack, but basically what she's telling her daughter-in-law, Naomi, to do is to propose marriage to Boaz. Um, And yes, this is a very bold move. It's forward, it's risky, particularly in those times, but Ruth does it. And then we see, here's, here's how it plays out. It says this, at midnight... The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask.'" For all my fellow townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. It's kind of a, just a fascinating thing. Uh, Ruth, she kind of embodies that saying that maybe you've heard that well-behaved women rarely make history, right? That's, that's Ruth. Um, Boaz wakes up as he's sleeping, and he sees that she's there by his feet. He doesn't, he doesn't expect it. He doesn't know where it's coming from. But he's honored because what that means is that she is is wanting to be his wife, and he gets the honor of of blessing and providing and redeeming her and Naomi and taking them in as his own. So the next morning, uh, he goes into town. He takes care of all the red tape and all the formalities, and you can read the details. I won't go through it, but we see once again that this is the right people being in the right place at the right time. Coincidence? No. Providence? Yes. And then here's how the story ends. Um, it says, uh, let me just make sure I got the right one here. Um, okay, so it says, so, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your own age. And it goes on and it says, They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So you see, this story, it ends in blessing desperation has turned into delight, and what started out as death ends in life. The foreigner has gotten folded into God's family, and this outsider is brought in to the inside. And all throughout the book, Ruth has always been described as Ruth the Moabite, right? That means she's not like us. She's not one of us. Uh, but here at the end, now she's Ruth one of us. In fact, Ruth, the great-grandmother of the great King David. So you start to get a sense of what God did for Ruth. It included her, but it also extended way beyond her. It was bigger than her. Uh, She was a part of this unfolding plan of redemption. And that's the reason why a thousand years later, we open up the New Testament to the first chapter of Matthew, and right there on the first page, there she is. She's showing there's this connection to Jesus, the son of David born in the little town of Bethlehem, the, born, the one who was born to redeem outsiders like Ruth and to bring them in to God's family. See, Ruth's story is a shadow of the ultimate redemption story. It reminds us of what Christmas is all about. It reminds us of the reason Jesus came. He came to redeem broken people like us, outsiders like us. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this is the story of the gospel. And that means that Ruth's story is the story of our lives as well. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus on that first Christmas morning, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Ephesians 2, 11 says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought in near by the blood of Christ not so we can just get by, but so we could be adopted, brought in as God's, a part of God's own family. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you uh, for this redemption story, Lord, and for the redemption stories that you are writing and have written on for all of our lives. Uh, Lord, where we are and where you're bringing us to and the reality, Lord, of what Christmas uh, means for that. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to be our redeemer. Uh, Lord, to, to love us, not just conveniently, Lord, not self, selfishly, but sacrificially. And because of what he's done for us, we have the hope of life eternal, and of life with you. Lord, may we glory in that, may we glory in you, and the good God that you are, and the good things you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing of that hope.
1: Please uh, take a seat and uh, I just want to uh, take time to pray uh, for our offering this morning and uh, uh, we're just excited to take the opportunity to just uh, bring focus into what um, the offering is as an expression of worship and that not only do we have the obligation to give but we have the opportunity to do it. And uh, God, who is the greatest giver, is one of the ways that we reflect that. I do want to tell you that this week, as, as we're talking about these kind of things, that I got a phone call, or actually an email, that apparently in the town of Carmel, somebody is going around making phone calls, claiming that a pastor from Carmel is making phone calls asking for gift cards. Um, this is a scam that's going on. So just to let you know, your pastor will never call you and ask you for gift cards. If you get a phone call and uh, someone claims to do that, it's not me hang up or dial the, uh, the police immediately. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that, uh, Lord, in this season of giving, that, um, Lord, we, we, we can only respond to the amazing uh, giving that you have done, that you continually do, Lord, that you bless us with each day. And so, Lord, this morning, we ask that you would take these gifts that are given, Lord, that you would multiply them Uh, Lord, that you would uh, use them for your glory and that you would bless and that you would provide for us as our hope is in you. Uh, Lord, you are Lord, you are our provider. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Good morning, Lakeview. We're so happy you're here today. If you're visiting for the first time, stop by our welcome table after the service for a welcome gift. We'd love to meet you. Today is the final day to participate in the Giving Tree. If you've purchased a gift, please leave it under the tree. Your generosity is making a tremendous impact and we appreciate you being part of this effort to share God's love and give back to others in need this Christmas season. For those who requested a gift, don't forget to pick it up before you leave today. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Join us for our regular morning worship gathering, made even more special because a Christmas worship choir will be leading us in celebration. This is such a great week to invite someone to join you at church. We're excited to spend Christmas Eve morning with you this year. And by the way, if you signed up to sing with the choir, remember to stay after today's worship gathering for the rehearsal. As you're getting organized for January, or simply curious about upcoming events in the new year, take a moment to explore everything on Lakeview Central or download the Church Center app. It's not just about keeping tabs on schedules. You can RSVP for events, request prayer, chat with your life group, and register your family for Lakeview Kids classes. Looking ahead to next month, there are also fantastic opportunities to connect with our church for the first time. Whether it's joining a life group, participating in a Bible study, attending our starting point newcomers lunch, or dropping in for the Forge Men's Group or Women in the Word, we're genuinely excited to get to know you. Before we close in prayer, we want to thank all of you who generously support what God is doing in and through this church family. You're making a real impact in our community and beyond. You can give through the offering box on the wall on your way out of this room, or online through our website. If you're visiting us today, drop off your connection card with a greeter at the welcome table. There's coffee and bagels in the cafe, and you're also invited to visit our prayer room to ask for prayer. Thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to see you again soon at Lakeview.
1: This morning, thank you, Lord, for this good morning. Uh, Lord, for the reminder that you are a good God and you are doing good things in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our world. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be a part of this redemption story you're writing in our own lives, in the lives of those around us. Uh, Lord, may we, you continue to bless us that we might be a blessing to others. We ask this all in Jesus' great name. Amen. Have a great day.